Chapter Twenty Nine of Kidnapped. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Kidnapped, by Robert Louis Stevenson, Chapter Twenty Nine. I come into my kingdom. For some time Alan volleyed upon the door, and his knocking only roused the echoes of the house and neighbourhood. At last, however, I could hear the noise of a window gently thrust up, and knew that my uncle had come to his observatory. By what light there was he could see Alan standing like a dark shadow on the steps. The three witnesses were hidden quite out of his view, so that there was nothing to alarm an honest man in his own house. For all that he studied his visitor a while in silence, and when he spoke his voice had a quaver of misgiving. "'What's this?' says he. "'This is no kind of time of night for decent folk, and I have no trockings with night-hawks. What brings you here? I have a blunderbush.' "'Is that yourself, Mr. Balfour?' returned Alan, stepping back and looking up into the darkness. "'Have a care of that blunderbuss. They're nasty things to burst.' "'What brings ye here, and what are ye?' says my uncle angrily. "'I have no matter of inclination to rout out my name to the countryside,' said Alan. "'But what brings me here is another story, being more of your affair than mine, and if you're sure it's what you would like, I'll set it to a tune and sing it to you.' "'And what is it?' asked my uncle. "'David,' says Alan. "'What was that?' cried my uncle in a mighty changed voice. "'Shall I give you the rest of the name, then?' said Alan. There was a pause, and then— "'I'm thinking I'd better let you in,' said my uncle, doubtfully. "'I dare say that,' said Alan. "'But the point is, would I go? Now I will tell you what I am thinking. I am thinking that it is here upon this doorstep that we must confer upon this business, and it shall be here or nowhere at all whatever, for I would have you to understand that I am as stiff-necked as yourself, and a gentleman of better family." This change of note disconcerted Ebenezer. He was a little while digesting it, and then says he, "'Weel, weel, what must be must,' and shut the window. But it took him a long time to get downstairs, and a still longer to undo the fastenings repenting, I dare say, and taken with fresh claps of fear at every second step and every bolt and bar. At last, however, we heard the creak of the hinges, and it seems my uncle slipped gingerly out, and, seeing that Alan had stepped back a pace or two, set him down on the top doorstep with a blunderbuss ready in his hands. "'And now,' says he, "'mind I have my blunderbush,' and if you take a step nearer you're as good as deed." "'Very civil speech,' says Alan, "'to be sure.' "'Nah,' says my uncle, "'but this is no very chanty kind of a proceeding, and I'm bound to be prepared. And now that we understand each other, you can name your business.' "'Why,' says Alan, "'you that are a man of so much understanding will doubtless have perceived that I am a Highland gentleman.' My name has no business in my story, but the county of my friends is not so very far from the Isle of Mull, of which you will have heard. 
it seems there was a ship lost in those parts, and the next day a gentleman of my family was seeking wreckwood for his fire along the sands, when he came upon a lad that was half drowned. Well, he brought him too, and he and some other gentlemen took and clapped him in an old ruined castle, where from that day to this he has been a great expense to my friends. My friends are a wee wild-like, not so particular about the law as some that I could name, and finding that the lad owned some decent folk, and was your born nephew, Mr. Balfour, they asked me to give you a bit of call and confer upon the matter. And I may tell you at the off-go, unless we can agree upon some terms, you are little likely to set eyes upon him. For my friends, added Allan, simply, are no very well off. My uncle cleared his throat. I'm no very caring, says he. He was not a good lad at the best of it, and I'd no call to interfere. Aye, aye, said Alan. I see what you would be at, pretending you don't care to make the ransom smaller. Nah, said my uncle. It's the mere truth. I take no matter of interest in the lad, and I pay no ransom, and you can make a kirk and a mill of him for what I care. Hoot, sir, says Alan blood's thicker than water in the devil's name. You cannot desert your brother's son for the fair shame of it, and if you did, and it came to be Kent, you wouldn't be very popular in your countryside, or I'm the more deceived. I know very popular the way it is, returned Ebenezer, and I didna see how it would come to be Kent. Not by me, anyway, nor yet by you or your friends, so let's idle talk, me bucky, says he. Then it'll have to be David that tells it, said Alan. How's that? says my uncle, sharply. Oh, just this way, says Alan. My friends would doubtless keep your nephew as long as there was any likelihood of siller to be made of it, but if there was none, I am clearly of opinion, they would let him gang where he pleased, and be damned to him. Aye! but i'm no very caring about that either said my uncle i wouldn't be muckle made up with that i was thinking that said alan and what for why asked ebenezer why mr balfour replied alan by all that i could hear there were two ways of it either you liked david and would pay to get him back or else you had very good reasons for not wanting him and would pay for us to keep him. It seems it's not the first. Well, then, it's the second, and blithe am I to ken it, for it should be a pretty penny in my pocket and the pocket of my friends. I dinna follow you there, said my uncle. No, said Alan. Well, see here, you dinna want the lad back. Well, what do you want done with him, and how much will you pay? My uncle made no answer, but shifted uneasily on his seat. "'Come, sir,' cried Alan, "'I would have you to ken that I am a gentleman. I bear a king's name. I am no rider to kick my shanks at your hall door. Either give me an answer in civility, and that out of hand, or by the top of Glencoe I will ram three feet of iron through your vitals.' "'Amen!' cried my uncle, scrambling to his feet. "'Give me a minute.' What's like wrong with ye? I'm just a plain man, and no dancing master, 
and I'm trying to be as civil as is morally possible. As for that wild talk, it's fair disreputable. Vital, says you, and where would I be with my blunderbush? he snarled. Powder and your old hands are but as the snail to the swallow against the bright steel in the hands of Alan, says the other. Before your jottering finger could find the trigger, the hilt would dirl on your breastbane. Eh, man, where's denying it? says my uncle. Pitied as ye please, had your own way. I do nothing across ye. Just tell me what you'll be wantin, and ye'll see that we can agree fine. Troth, sir, said Alan, I ask for nothing but plain dealing. In two words, do ye want the land killed? Or kept. Oh, sirs! cried Ebenezer. Oh, sirs, me! That's no kind of language. Killed or kept? repeated Alan. Oh, kept it! Kept it! wailed my uncle. We had no bloodshed, if you please. Well, said Alan, as you please, that'll be the dearer. The dearer? cries Ebenezer. Would you file your hands with crime? Hoot, said Alan, they're both crime whatever, and the killin's easier and quicker and surer. Keepin' the lad'll be a fascist job, a fascist kittle business. I'll have him keep to though, returned my uncle. I never had nothing to do with anything morally wrong, and I'm no goin' to begin to pleasure a wild highlandman. Your uncle scrupulous, sneered Alan. I'm a man of principle said Ebenezer simply, and if I have to pay for it, I'll have to pay for it. And besides, says he, ye forgot the lad's my brother's son. Well, well, said Alan, and now about the price. It's no very easy for me to set a name upon it. I would first have to ken some small matters. I would have to ken, for instance, what ye gave hoe season at the first off-go. Hoe season cries my uncle, struck aback. What for? For kidnapping, David, says Alan. It's a lie, it's a black lie, cried my uncle. He was never kidnapped. He lied in his throat that he told you that. Kidnapped? He never was. That's no fault of mine, nor yet of yours, said Alan, nor yet of Hoseason's, if he's a man that can be trusted. What do you mean? cried Ebenezer. Did Hoseason tell ye? Why, ye donnered old runt, how else would I ken? cried Alan. Hoseason and me are partners. We gang shares. So ye can see for yourself what good you can do lying. And I must plainly say ye drove a fool's bargain when ye let a man like the sailor man so far forward in your private matters. But that's past praying for, and ye must lie on your bed the way ye made it. And the point in hand is just this. What did you pay him? Has he told you himself? asked my uncle. That's my concern, said Alan. Weel, said my uncle, I dinna care what he said. He lied, and the solemn God's truth is this, that I gave him twenty pound. But I'll be perfectly honest with you, for by that he was to have the selling of the lad in Caroliny. Work would be his muckle mare, but no from my pocket, you see. Thank you, Mr. Thompson. That will do excellently well, said the lawyer, stepping forward, 
and then mighty civilly, "'Good evening, Mr. Balfour,' said he, and, "'Good evening, Uncle Ebenezer,' said I, and, "'It's a braw nicht, Mr. Balfour,' added Torrance. Never a word said my uncle, neither black nor white, but just sat where he was on the top doorstep and stared upon us like a man turned to stone. Alan filched away his blunderbuss, and the lawyer, taking him by the arm, plucked him up from the doorstep, led him into the kitchen, whither we all followed, and set him down in a chair beside the hearth, where the fire was out and only a rushlight burning. There we all looked upon him for a while, exulting greatly in our success, but yet with a sort of pity for the man's shame. "'Come, come, Mr. Ebenezer,' said the lawyer, "'you must not be downhearted, for I promise you we shall make easy terms. In the meanwhile give us the cellar-key, and Torrance shall draw us a bottle of your father's wine in honour of the event.' Then turning to me, and taking me by the hand, "'Mr. David,' says he, "'I wish you all joy in your good fortune, which I believe to be deserved.' And then to Alan, with a spice of drollery, "'Mr. Thompson, I pay you my compliment. It was most artfully conducted. But in one point you somewhat outran my comprehension. Do I understand your name to be James? Or Charles? Or is it George, perhaps?' "'And why should it be any of the three, sir?' quoth Alan, drawing himself up, like one who smelt an offence. "'Only, sir, that you mentioned a king's name,' replied Rankeiller, "'and as there has never yet been a King Thompson, or his fame at least has never come my way, I judged you must refer to that you had in baptism.' This was just the stab that Alan would feel keenest, and I am free to confess he took it very ill. Not a word would he answer, but stepped off to the far end of the kitchen, and sat down and sulked, and it was not till I stepped after him, and gave him my hand, and thanked him by title as the chief spring of my success, that he began to smile a bit, and was at last prevailed upon to join our party. By that time we had the fire lighted, and a bottle of wine uncorked, a good supper came out of the basket, to which Torrance and I and Alan set ourselves down while the lawyer and my uncle passed into the next chamber to consult. They stayed there closeted about an hour, at the end of which period they had come to a good understanding, and my uncle and I set our hands to the agreement in a formal manner. By the terms of this my uncle bound himself to satisfy Rankeiller as to his intromissions, and to pay me two clear thirds of the yearly income of Shaw's. So the beggar in the ballot had come home, and when I lay down that night on the kitchen chests, I was a man of means, and had a name in the country. Allen and Torrance and Rankeiller slept and snored on their hard beds, but for me, who had lain out under heaven, and upon dirt and stones, so many days and nights, and often with an empty belly, and in fear of death, this good change in my case unmanned me more than any of the former evil ones and I lay till dawn, looking at the fire on the roof, and planning the future. End of chapter